Welcome to Full Stack Business Owner. Today, we're talking about the latest news and what is important to Australian business owners. I'm actually excited for today, Charlie. It is, what is it, the, the election special, the election episode? The election special. The election special. <laughs> I don't even know if we'll use that as a title. But if you're not already, make sure you're on the newsletter. This newsletter is designed to enhance your full stack of skills to build wealth inside and outside of your business. So head over to fullstackbusinessowner.com forward slash newsletter. Be sure you've put in your email because we will contact you every single time that one of these episodes drops. But before we get started, Charlie, let's cue the disclaimer. Charlie here from Full Stack Business Owner. I need to let you know that Grant, myself, and the Full Stack Business Owner team are in no way, shape, or form qualified to give you financial advice or pick investment products. We highly encourage you seek out and engage the use of professionals when making financial decisions or comparing investment products. All right, diving into the, the election special. Jeez, that sounds so formal. Uh, I, do. I feel like we need like one of those really uh, like big news sounds, dun, dun, like the like a, yes. news flash, like the what is the marquee text across the bottom <laughs> with the weather and everything like that. Uh, before we even get into this, I do have to say I'm I'm a little bit disappointed because the the effort and time it took for me to find some of this information <laughs> and filter through absolute marketing dribble of why one party is better than the other party and how the other party has demolished an economy versus this party's not going to demolish an economy was just so frustrating, let alone going through media outlets to try and get some kind of insights from it. I was just just taken aback. I was like, what is this? It's a very unique thing, politics, isn't it? It's crazy. Yeah, like half of your work is really like dismissing your opponent, which – Again, is like a weird thing in general. Like, yep. uh, if we ran a company where we spent half the time basically expressing why everyone else is wrong, I'd be like, well, that's just not the way to do it. Um, and then on the other side of it is, is like when you present information or things you want to do, it's a lot of half truthing that goes on. Yep. So they'd be like, cool, we're going to do this infrastructure project, but we're not going to tell you, like, oh, we're actually going to, like, you know, d- demolish all these houses and displace these people, yep. or we're going to cut this other thing to pay for that, and all those people are out. Like, it's very intentionally vague. It's like running an SEO company where my entire strategy is to drop everyone else's rankings down. So my ranking increases. <laughs> Guaranteed page one. <laughs> Guaranteed page one. <laughs> That's exactly right. So in order to prep for this, we actually had to go to the parliament websites, to each uh, the party's websites and their policies and stuff like that, which I remember us jumping on a call with Charlie and you're like, Grant, you sound so somber. You've got no emotion in your voice this morning. I'm like, yeah, I've been reading. <laughs> All of these websites. I was like, taking your soul. <laughs> so I had to go for a bit of a jumping jacks before we dive into it. But let's do it. So, topic number one is a topic that actually people are really interested in this because Liberal were talking about uh, another scheme with superannuation and Labor, who's obviously won the election. Congratulations to Labor. They actually got this point around the 40% ownership of housing, which is quite interesting. So what are they calling it? It's either the equity scheme or the help to buy, which is what their website calls it. But essentially for those who don't know, uh, Labor is saying that they will help up to 10,000 Australians each year purchase their house. And they'll do this by either providing up to 40% on new homes or up to 30% on existing homes where you just need a minimum deposit of about 2%. And then you just need to live in that property as well. Now, they have capped this uh, in Sydney, or like in 
towards the main city, it was like $950,000 as a cap. Victoria's main city is $850,000. Like Brisbane is $650,000. Just to give people an indication of like they're not going to help you buy a $5 million property. So, Charlie, how do you interpret this? What did, when you first heard this, what was the immediate thought that you had and the immediate reaction? Uh, to be honest, I really looked at this and I've gone, so the government is now taking an investment stake in housing. Yes. <laughs> what a right-wing capitalist policy from this government. I find this really, really interesting. So the thing I just want to articulate here, and I'm just going to use round numbers, I realise there's caps, if someone was to buy a million-dollar brand-new home, the government would put in $400,000, the 40%, and the other per- the buyer of the home, the first home buyer, and you must be a first home buyer, would put in $600,000, and that's how they would be able to buy a million-dollar home. But if you sold that, let's say, five years later and it's doubled, when you have to give the money back to the government, that $400,000 stakes become eight hundred, dollars and you have to give them back eight hundred. dollars Yep. So this is an investment in housing. So, and again, you've done some excellent research here, Grant, about saying that they're going to, uh, it's like $329 million they're going to put into this policy per year. If I said to you that a company, uh, an international investing company is coming over to Australia and they're going to start pumping $329 million into housing every year for the next five years, what do you think was going to happen to housing? (laughs) Well, the first thing I'm going to do is buy those stocks. But the second thing is I, I reckon that the housing prices are going to increase because what other people will sit there and look at that and go, I'll do the exact same thing. Like that, that is just a good backing. How many people can actually put in $329 million into the housing market to help it grow? Nobody. <laughs> I, I know this is going to sound really odd. Like I am um, obviously a property bull. I'm very for property, but I'm actually quite against policies like this. Because I'm like, how do you ever turn it off? Like, yeah. if you're doing this for the first home buyers now, like, and then you're going to plan to turn it off in five years, what do you do for the next first home buyers that don't have this? So, what ends up happening here is these policies. Now you've got people that could have only, in this example, afforded a six hundred thousand dollar house. They're buying million dollar houses, so they're actually going to push up the price of those assets even further. Now, being we're already invested in property, this is probably a little bit. I'm going to say mildly good news in the idea that I think it'll actually backstop housing in a lot of places. So the chances of housing going up or at least not falling have dramatically increased in my view. But then the other side of this is I'm also concerned that this might be something that pushes housing up too far and it gets overheated and might be something that leads to future declines. It's a completely interesting point because if you think about the second order consequences of this, right, and you go and buy a place, and we'll say it was a million dollars just for round figures, right, uh, and then it's doubled. And then you sell and you only walk away with that that million dollars difference where you would probably pay quite a bit off for your debt, et cetera. You can't get back into the same market, right? So you're, not, you're now not really selling your property because to your point, you can't really turn this thing off. <laughs> when this thing's on, you've got expectation of people who are coming through, getting jobs now, saving for a deposit, et cetera, and saying, okay, well, now I know what I need to get in order to try and buy, buy a house. And I think that is the biggest challenge is saying, well, you can't turn it off. And even if you do turn it off, you still need to maintain it in government until people sell their houses because you still got to double check, get the money back, do all of these things. But then imagine the onslaught that you would have if you pumped $329 million into helping people buy houses and then the housing market crashed 
and that turned not into not much. There's some traps here, as we can see. I just think the government has a history of getting involved in housing and all it ends up doing is pushing up prices faster. Yeah. Now, again, I'll put my investor hat on. I think this is a strong bull case for property even further. I think this is a strong bull case for the regions because of those caps. I think many people are going to be buying more in those like major regional hubs. I'm not talking like rural, like out in the sticks. I feel like this is going to be a fuel to all those towns that support the capital cities and they're going to grow in a really big way from this. Yeah. I, I don't, to that point, I don't see this being a huge push for major cities. Like those numbers, I would love to buy a house in Metro Melbourne for a million bucks. <laughs> I would love to, but it's, they're just not there. And so by these caps, which is why it's so important, it's actually indicating as to where this money's going to land. And to your point, those those locations is what's going to be propped up. All right. So we've got the we've got a pretty bull case here on like from the investor point of view, this is a really positive sign for property in general. I think we agree on that. You may I see some negatives down the road. How do you feel about this from a business owner's point of view though? Is this changing anything in how you might think about doing business? Yeah. So from a I was I was thinking about this. So from a business owner's perspective, the first one is like, where are they going to get the money from? <laughs> right. So taxes, welcome. I'm like, oh, great. No worries at all. Let's go and sort of tax some more people. And we know that businesses are always a good target for this. But the second one is employees, right? So I was actually looking at this as a, as a potential benefit for employees because I'm like, well, if my, if my company doesn't require everyone to, to come into a central business district like a Melbourne or a Sydney and we are all living rural, this is, and not regional, regional, it's actually a really good thing because then my team can actually get into the property market without being impacted so much by inflation, which has increased their cost of living. And the government is actually going to help them buy houses, et cetera, which means that the pressure on me as a business owner in order for me to increase their wages and me cut costs and charge more to my customers, et cetera, is not as prevalent there anymore because I, I can actually see this to actually help my team without it costing me too much outside of obviously taxes to go and help pay for it. But what about yourself? Fascinating. So uh, I'll just share one quick story here. I actually know someone personally who got in on the initial trial of this. So, um, yeah, they, funnily enough, living on my street, they were uh, renting there and then I actually saw an ad for this and I sent it to them. Well, I actually sent it to Bianca, my partner, and who sent it to them. And um, they actually took advantage of this and I, it was actually a really great thing. So from what was uh, really interesting to me is like how strong their desire was to own their own home. Yep. And I think for someone who's renting and trying to save and the prices keep going up and becoming more unaffordable, this actually really helps give them a sense of security and the option to get into a home and be home proud Australians, which I think is something that was really great for them. So I actually do see some of the positive signs of this and I think it's going to be great for a lot of first home buyers who haven't been able to get in the market. I think it's a really, really positive thing. As for like the business tailwinds that come from this, one of the things we really note here is like, let's pretend someone's got a, a house in a region right now and it's worth 500 grand. And this causes prices in those areas to go up to 600 grand. When they sell it to that first home buyer, that person's now made more money that goes into the economy as well. Yep. And whether they upgrade or buy a bigger home or things like that. So those second order consequences start to become really interesting. Something that I've been thinking a lot about is just how much wealth is created in Australia because of construction. So you saw that uh, the 40% of this is that, hey, if you build a new home, we'll give you 40%. If you buy an existing, is 30. 
So what about all the trade businesses that are now going to be building new homes? Like I think this is a really, really positive sign for the construction sector and is probably propping up that to a degree as well. So I think if you're in the construction industry or you serve the construction industry, you're likely going to have some more strong years, particularly in those regions, to come from this. Yeah, especially because uh, so every time that I read this, there was always every year, every year, every year. And there was actually an interview that I watched as well where they're saying that this is just the base and that they're actually looking to increase this as well. And so it's a really interesting point that you made around construction, which I, I was more looking at this from a cool, like, can people acquire it? But you're completely correct because that industry that sits around construction and growing new townships and expanding existing townships, et cetera, will continue to grow. And I suspect that this is not going to sit at 10,000 per year. I actually expect, based on the interviews that I've listened to, this is going to grow more and more every single year as well. And so I let's, let's just unpack that a bit further though. I think it's a really interesting point. So pretend there's like, a, okay, what is it, 10,000 uh, 10, Australians each year. I don't know if they're like, you know, if it's a couple, they're counting that as two and it's actually like 5,000 purchases or whatever yeah. it is. But let's just assume it's 10,000 houses the government is going to buy every year now or get involved in this scheme. And let's assume like half of them are new. If that's 5,000 homes that are getting built every year, that's a whole set of trades, whether it's carpenters, electricians, plumbers that are, are working on those homes. And even if you're not involved directly in the construction industry, well, guess what? Plumbers love to go out for dinner with Great. their friends. Yep. So they're spending money in restaurants, cafes. They also buy cars. So your mate who works at the car dealership just made a sale, yep. right? And then like it's all the things uh, that go into that and support it. It's like the ripples of that. So I do see that this is going to make a significant contribution to, again, just like ripple effect of positive economic growth. Yeah. And the final point to that as well is if I'm only needing to put 2% down for my deposit, I then have available cash to do renovations, to buy more goods for my property and do all of these things where if I was up against needing to put that whole amount of cash down myself, I, I really would have probably struggled. Can I ask a very pointy question? All right, go ahead. If you could take advantage of this scheme, would you do it? No. I probably would not just because I'm, I'm mildly greedy and I don't know what did, someone says like, it's like who wants the government on their kitchen table? <laughs> and I'm like, and I kind of sit there and I'm just like, I, I get that. Like I'm, I'm very independent. I want to be able to do what I want to do because there's so much ambiguity. I don't know what happens and what rigmarole I need to go through in order to try and sell my property. I don't know. Like if imagine it went down, does the government say like, no, like, do I get the final say? What happens is it like if I have I wonder debt, if they're going to take a loss, right? If it sells and it's gone down, do like do you share the loss? Correct. There's probably a whole bunch of things that go into this, and, and that that's the thing. I'm I'm sitting there. I'm like, but if I was in a very different situation where I couldn't save for a deposit and I couldn't do all of these things, I reckon my answer would be different. Like, if I was in that situation, then maybe I might take it. But in the situation I'm in now, where incomes etc., I, I would not. Would, would right, you so entertain it? Just, I can't do it. I'm too, I'm too proud. <laughs> I'm stubborn. It's like I, I have this, like I have this thing in me where it's like I would rather ride or die on my own decisions, like ultimate responsibility. <laughs> it's like I, I don't want to be uh, employed because I'm like, no, no, I want my income be, to be dependent on me, not my employer. Yep. And it's like I'd much rather be responsible for my own money. I don't want to use like – uh, a fund, a managed fund. Like I don't like the deferment of responsibility. I pr much prefer to go through life with the idea of like this is on me yeah. and it's served me pretty well. 
So just to recap on that though, so positive for business, right? As I said, like the un, uh, un probably not dom, what would you call it? It's like the hidden consequences of this is like construction could boom. And if you build websites for the construction industry or they eat in your restaurants yep. or you're in the trade yourself, this could be a massive tailwind for your industry and the ones that support it. Um, when we look at the investing side of things, also like this is a company. I don't know if I should call them a company, but let's just pretend. Call them investing a company. 300 and if BlackRock Australia, featuring the Australian government, uh, were to invest $329 million a year into property, like that is a significant amount of money going to be bolstering this industry. Yep. So I, I see massive positives on those two fronts. I really do. Yeah. And then you've got the fringes of like renovations, consumer goods purchasing because they have the ability to buy it now because it's not all wrapped up in mortgages. Um, and obviously for the investments that you were talking about. Uh, yeah, I, I see there being a net benefit as long as you understand what's happening and how you're going to apply it as well. But it's actually, it brings to the te- second topic. So this one was an interesting one as <laughs> I think a lot of business owners who are listening to this will sit there and go, this is terrible for me. So labor's job increase and productivity hack is what I kind of put at the end, rather hack because we're, we're just trying to get through it. Now, this one was interesting because there was so much to the content on the policy on, on the website and it was so ambiguous. And so I've just pulled out a couple of really important points that we can- <laughs> I'm just not laughing. Do you think that was intentional, Graham? <laughs> <laughs> no, I definitely think they know exactly what they're going to do. <laughs> so what I've, noticed, I've, I've pulled out, there's some really, some really interesting things there like free TAFE and all of these things, but I've pulled out some very interesting ones that I think are valuable for us to cover off here. And so the top four was uh, universities. So there's 20,000 additional placements is what they're pushing for over the next couple of years. And the, the real reason that I want to touch on this one is priority areas such as clean energy, advanced manufacturing, health and education aka areas that got skill shortages. Second one is better wages. And I quote, the website says labor governments are good for wages. <laughs> so they're obviously looking to increase wages to beat inflation. Uh, third one is same job, same pay. And I quote again, if you do the same job as someone else, you should get the same pay. And I quote again, labor will enshrine same job, same pay into law. And then the fourth one is putting security back into work. And I quote, Fair Work Commission will have to put job security at the heart of all its decision-making. So there's some very four-pointed points there. <laughs> what, what is your immediate reaction when you hear those things? Well, this is what I expect from Labor. Like the general premise is that if like Labor and Liberal, like Liberal is pro-business, Labor is pro-Labor or people who are employed. Yep. Um, so raising wages and bolstering wages is like key to what they're kind of known for, right? Like it's the thing that sits within us. Uh, what is interesting around this though is like if you have someone in government raise wages, so they're saying, look, we're going to put wages up, the consequence of that is that businesses have a higher cost to deliver things. Correct. So if you've, you're in manufacturing, you've got a factory, and then all of a sudden you've got to put up the wages of the people in your factory, your costs go up. In turn, you have to raise your prices on those goods and then it like counteracts the increase in wages. Yep. So you end up with this like spiral and they call this the inflation spiral. So, you know, wages go up and then it feeds into or then the cost of goods goes up, but then wages need to go up and then we just play this like back and forth game. 
So my main concern, and like I actually saw uh, an interview with uh, Anthony Albanese on this one, which are like kind of terrified me a little bit. I'm like, I'll give you the analogy and then I'll talk about it. It's like imagine you're going onto a plane and you're like boarding and you look over and you can see the captain, you give him a little wave. He goes, mate, 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 do you know what this button does? <laughs> like is this dial like if I pull this, what happens? And it's like, w- would you get on that plane? No. <laughs> Yeah, I was like the guy who's in control doesn't necessarily understand how this could have an impact. Now, um, and just so I'm not like anti, I mean, I'm a business owner. Clearly, I'm going to side with the business people from there. But I actually want people to be able to make more money and I want wages to be going up, but I want it to be done in an appropriate way. Yep. So when governments just raise wages for the sake of it, they go, no, no, we need to up wages all over here then it just creates this spiral. And the thing that's missing in the conversation, and this is what was missing with that interview with Anthony Albanese, was like there was nothing focusing on productivity. Yep. So the way you actually want uh, wages to go up is because productivity is increased. So if the productivity of a company increases, then they have more profits to increase wages or pay higher salaries, where if we just are upping things from a forced position, it just feeds into this inflation story that's already existing today. So my, um, from a business point of view, I'm really concerned that this is the start of like that spiral. This is upping wages, increasing costs, which we're already seeing the impacts of inflation this year. And then inflation ultimately hurts the lower income brackets and the middle class more than the upper, upper classes. Yeah. So I actually see this policy could be something. And again, I'm going to say could be because it might be a really positive thing in another way, but it actually leads to more inflation uh, getting out of the gate here. Yeah, and it was, it was interesting because I, I looked at this and I'm like, okay, well, how far could they push this? So inflation was what just announced at 5.1%, where the average wage increase over, I think it was the last 12 months or so, was 2.3%. And so I'm like, there's a serious gap that they're trying to catch up with. Because noting that inflation is historical, like that's what it has been. So whether or not it's going to be higher or lower in the future is going to be a, a question that we can sort of speculate on. But I'm like, there is a serious gap for them to race up against historically and in the future. And so I'm like, well, how serious are they going to go? And I always look at this and say, well, they're obviously going to increase salaries through the government, right? So public sector, well, it's a very easy one for them to control. But then they're obviously going to put down like minute, probably increase like minimum wage and do all of those things down to business owners. And I say, okay, well, very first thing, how would I play that? Well, I care more about profit. So I immediately start thinking about what are the profitable things that I can do as a business owner to take expenses out? And if my labor force is going to become more expensive, then the easiest wins is going to be things like automation, outsourcing, or increasing my prices to my customer, which if I increase my prices, welcome to the spiral that you were talking about, which is the inflation. But if I start automating different parts of my business, or if I start outsourcing my workforce, then that's actually a negative impact to the economy, right? So yes, you might have more people getting paid more, but you actually probably have a lesser working class because businesses are now looking for this profitability elsewhere because they're saying, well, that no matter how productive you can make a team, if I can't make the numbers work, I will automate it, take it offshore or do other things. And to me, that's exactly as a business owner, what I would look at is I would just say, well, how can I compete against this? And those are some of the very quick ways that I, I know I can do it. So instead of me having maybe an administration girl in Australia, I might just do it overseas to be a very specific example. And instead of me getting some people to collate spreadsheets and help me do a report, 
I might go and automate that and put a tool in instead. Well, my, my hope in this, right, to, to your point, and that's a great point, is like obviously they've highlighted universities as a part of this, is if they're skilling up more people and that creates higher productivity, then this is awesome. I'm all for it. But if they're just raising wages, then I'm, I'm concerned. But I, I shared a photo with you uh, the other week about a receptionist desks at a dentist. So uh, commonly, right, it's like obviously if you've been to a dentist in Australia, you would come in, you meet the receptionist, they check you in. Now, I don't know about you, Grant. Have you ever actually like touched a receptionist at a dentist? Never. Like physically? Me either, right? It's actually like, so why does that person actually need to be there? Correct. So what someone had done, a dentist, is they'd actually set up a computer and they just left like Zoom running and they actually had someone in the Philippines sitting at the desk that was a virtual receptionist with the camera on. She could see everyone in the waiting room. She could message the doctor on his Slack or whatever he was using for communications. So they'd actually managed to take the cost of a receptionist that might have been like a $30 an hour role in there and take it offshore for $10 an hour. So when, um, and that's just an example of like, I think we're going to see more of this. We've already seen it at like Coles and Safeway where there's more automated self-checkouts or even Bunnings now as well. I think we're going to see more and more changes like this as businesses look to innovate. And I'd actually encourage business owners to be adaptive to this. If you've got the opportunity to start taking things, uh, use technology or geo-arbitrage, that's how I would be playing it. I think if you're building a business now that requires a lot of Australian labour, you're facing a headwind of uh, extreme rising costs. Do you see there being any other opportunities for business owners with these increases? Like is there, outside of us cutting costs and sort of becoming more productive and efficient with the labour that we do have, is there anything, like is there, does this open up any other industries, any other sectors? Like obviously if you've got a company that provides overseas or offshore employees and things like that, that is obviously a good win because you are able to sort of combat that. But in your experience, does it open up any, any other industries where you say, oh, this is interesting? Obviously universities and training hubs is one to go and reskill labour, et cetera. But there any other sort of opportunities that you're seeing that people go, oh, yeah, I could dive into that or expand my business into that? I think we underestimate how powerful technology is here. Mm. So I'll give you an example. Even when I, I was a young plumber, right, I was um, I was actually at a very interesting transition where uh, when I first started plumbing, you actually used to put copper pipes in the wall. So like you would get these uh, copper rods and sticks and then like what you would do for a day is effectively like cut them up and put in joins and weld things and like they were the water pipes or gas pipes. And then a really interesting change happened where it went from copper pipes to plastic so literally these are like, it almost looks like a garden reel, but different. So this change where it's like it used to take a day to set up the pipes on a house, sometimes two if it was a big house, so we could do two in a day. Mm, yeah. Because the ability to like roll out and bend around walls and put through joins, it was so much quicker. Yep. And so from my boss's point of view, it's like, well, if I use the old way, it's a day per house to do the plumbing, but if I use the new way, I can do two. Yep. So I think- innovations in technology are like the key catalyst for business productivity. Like I, I really do. So I look at this right now and I go, if more business owners could be more adaptive to that and want to take up new things, well, then they're getting investment in this areas and we actually get more progress. So I, I'd almost want to put the responsibility on business owners here is like, it's our job to innovate. It's our job to drive this productivity stuff. And like, that's how we all win. So if I am a business that starts to do more things virtually in this example, 
well, suddenly that opens up that I can hire people from different parts of Australia. I'm not limited to the uh, talent pool that's just around me. Or it means that I can work with other virtual businesses in a different way where previously I might have only been able to do local things. So just, just think of this one here. If you're a mortgage broker and you go back 30 years, all your business was probably done, what, in your local town? Correct. Local. Sitting at the branch? Yep. Friends of friends, family friends. Yeah, so it, it, our mortgage broker today, it's like I'm not even in the same state as him. <laughs> nope. Nor, nor is my accountant for that matter. And I just look at it and go, well, what's changed? Yep. The adaptiveness of technology. I've sat on Zoom calls with them for, uh, and I've been, you know, on the phone with them. And we've like we use email instead of letters, but I think we forget what an impact those types of drivers, like the internet, what a driver that's been of productivity. Yeah. So again, bringing this back to it, I just think that's such a huge thing of business owners in how I would play this one. Yeah, I would. There'd be a final piece that I would tack on onto the top of that as well, and I, I love the technology because that's whether you're stepping into a tech technology company that's going to help fuel this growth and help businesses save money, grow, et cetera. I think that is such a good point. Uh, the final point that I will just make is the advanced, uh, sorry, the focus in on different key areas around university. Cause I think that what governments are really good at is sort of showing you industries that are about to grow. So I'm looking at here where they're saying clean energy, advanced manufacturing, health and education are great indicators as to where we're going to be heading as a country right so i'm like okay great well am i in an industry in one of these industries that the government's trying to increase the skills in because i know there's going to be some growth there because they're already seeing it from a macroeconomic perspective and then the final point that i will say is around personal wealth as we look at this if people's wages go up cost of businesses go up which means inflation goes up to the exact point that you've said so you and I are looking at the houses that we own and properties that we've invested in. I don't know about you, Charlie, but I'm sitting here quite excited going, <laughs> okay, well, for me personally, my personal wealth, this is actually probably a really good thing. Do you know what? I didn't pick up on the key industry thing. That was, a, that was actually a really good point there. So fascinating that we're getting hints of where we might like to uh, pay attention. What would have won me if they had is like actually like crypto? Like actually, <laughs> hey, we're going to... And not the um, crypto currency stuff for the trading, but it's like I would would have been amazing if we actually, as a country, said like we're going to be really deep in Web three and we're going to have blockchain. the best coders in the world for blockchain. Yep. So we're going to build all the stuff on Web three, not trading. Or not, I want to refer like I want the tech people here. Yeah, because that would have been really cool. As for like, what does this do from here? I think it's a really positive thing for the wealth of the country if we're focusing on skills. Yeah, I think ripple effects of more people. Uh, whether it's apprenticeships, take courses, universities, more people getting better understanding so they can be more productive in society ultimately leads to more wealth. Yep. So really positive sign as well. I agree. Let's jump on. We'll change speeds a little bit. Topic number three. So uh, on, on the Labor website, one really important one for Australian business owners is Labor's plan to fix the NBN. Now, Charlie, I'm sure that you've been following this uh, enjoyable NBN co-ride since I think it was what, Rudd announced it in like 2009 or something like that, right? the, the decade that it has been or like 13 years that it has been. Um, so Labor's looking to expand the full fibre NBM network to 1.5 million premises. That means that over 10 million premises will actually have a gigabyte speeds by 2025. That is their plan that they're outlining. Uh, one fascinating thing that I didn't know is that Australia is actually currently 59th in the world on average broadband speeds. 
which I was I was quite taken aback by. I was like, yeah, that probably interests me and probably fascinates me more. Um, but more importantly, back in 2009, they couldn't get major telcos in, which is why they had to go and create MBN Co. But now all of the major telcos are like running like really hard to try and get, get more people on outside of the NBN network as well. And then the final piece is they planned it to, to cost $43 billion and I'm costing about $73 billion, which is like $28 billion over what they expected. And now they're looking to spend more, noting that they never just they never outlined how much it's going to cost them to expand to the additional 1.5 million houses as well. I'm just laughing. I'm laughing pretty hard here because I'm like, this is an example of like government execution done terribly, <sighs> absolutely terribly. And the plans kept changing. Like it went from like fiber to broadband and then it like bounced around and it, yeah, crazy. Some things I think the private sector does much better than government and uh, projects like this is one of them. And I, I realize this is of uh, our nation's interest and I'm still very grateful that we are doing something here, but uh, the approach clearly not great. Um, so I do very much question, do we just give up on the NBN and just let Elon do his thing and we all jump on Starlink? Yes. <laughs> like I, I, well, I, I look at this, right, and it was interesting because all of these interesting signs are here. So the NBN code, obviously the government helped fund the entirety of it. Um, but in like tall apartment buildings like where I am in Melbourne, um, what happened was like the TPGs of the world came in and said, hey, like, you can't only have NBN Co. as the only provider because that is a monopoly and you can't have monopolies in Australia. And the ACCC actually said, you're right. And so you've got like TPG and all that now connecting fibre to buildings, right? And NBN Co. is like, oh, no, there was a lot of revenue that we're going to generate from here where you needed to use this. And they've got like this uh, telecommunications act that like stipulates how much of NBN Co. must be used and what must be required and all these things. And all of these major telcos are coming through and actually providing something better. So the innovation that's actually pushing is a good thing, albeit it's cost us an absolute arm and a leg to get there. Fascinating. Do you know what's interesting is I'm really sensing a theme throughout all of this, and I'm sure you're picking up the same one here, but it's like the housing policy we mentioned first is like pushing obviously major regions. I look at the NBN here and going, it's particularly the regions that are going to do well at this. And if I was going to like uh, look at the undertone here is I suspect that we're going to see a lot of like more work from home and work remotely, the ability to work online with better NBN. I actually, um, my view and opinion is that over the next five years is that that's the big shift that's going to happen. This is technology that's going to enable more people to work from home in turn, more people are going to be able to afford to buy in these regions and we're going to see these cities just expand in size. So it wouldn't surprise me if like, I know uh, for people that are in Victoria, it's like, will Geelong and Melbourne just be connected? <laughs> will that just all be one giant city? It's one big metro. Geelong becomes a metro Melbourne. But it actually unlocks quite a bit more because I was thinking about this. I'm like, what would change if everybody had one gig a second internet? And I, I've Talk to quite a lot of my mates out of the US and I just get so fascinated around how their houses are just incorporating this IoT or the internet of things. Like friends of mine have got full rooms dedicated to VR gaming, right? They've got all of these different things like they've got buttons in their laundry that they push the button and stuff just comes in from Amazon, etc. And like all of this, the second you remove this internet barrier and it's just everything's just connected at lightning speeds, all this innovation just comes straight through. But you think about it from a, 
Well, now if you've got those uh, networks or self-driving cars, actually have a, a support network. You've actually got all of these AI things that will start getting unlocked, virtual worlds getting unlocked, all of these Web3, blockchain, et cetera, et cetera, that were all impacted by the inability of having this internet speed that could support it, where only if you had this in the top sort of 5 10% of people who have like really, really fast internet, that were only there for them. That now, to your point, it's being expanded to everybody where this is now the norm. So if you're, con- if you're producing these technology goods, or software or anything like that, then your market is just growing, especially if it's direct to consumer. I think this is a net benefit. For business in general, this is a net benefit. I I really do think if you're a business owner to see the government investing in better like railways of internet infrastructure, you win out of this hugely Mm -hmm. because everyone uses, every business uses the internet, whether even if it's just for banking in some way and better internet means, uh, as I said, innovation, driving productivity, all the right things. From a business point of view, I'm really for it. Now, do you see them being able to execute this? Do you see this being, because all of these policies that are putting in place is like the next couple of years, the next couple of years, <laughs> we've sort of seen NBN sort of drag on. Even if they were to sort of fall down and not be able to execute against what they're hoping to execute against, etc. do you still see this as being a net benefit now? Or do you see this as a, we need to wait a couple of years before we start reaping the rewards? Uh, do I think they will get done what they've written down? No. <laughs> will they get some progress done and Elon and other things will take up the rest? Yes. Uh, and just for anyone that doesn't know, Elon's delivering uh, internet via satellite. So it doesn't need any cables or infrastructure within the ground. You uh, literally set up a dish on your property and you can connect to his satellite infrastructure that he's, uh, I think, going to be far more better at executing than the Australian government. No offence, government. Um, he's got a better track record of getting things done. <laughs> a little bit. And just a little bit. Um, <laughs> point, point being though, will there be progress? Absolutely. And, th- and this is one of those things where again, and like I don't want to be harping the same point over and over again. If there's better internet infrastructure in regions and that enables more people to work in higher paying jobs in those regions, those regions will do really well. Yep. Now, Grant, for you and I, like I look at this right now and go, we can work from anywhere the only limiter is going to be the internet. Now, if one city has really good internet infrastructure and another doesn't, I know which one we're picking. Correct. Yeah, so again, I'd be looking at this as a a potential thing that Australia, just like from an investment point of view, enabling these regions to take on more of this, I think is really cool. One of the things I just can't work out though is why more regional towns, uh, major regions particularly, aren't trying to attract internet talent because you've got to think about this is if a city said to me, look, Charlie, I'm going to give you a free house. Come and move to this area. It's like, well, why would they do that? Is because I don't take a job from their community. I bring my own job. And then the other side of it is I'm going to spend money in that town and, you know, like I'll, I'll buy things. I spend yeah. money. So it's like I would love to see more regional towns do a push to attract internet talent and then ultimately create one of our own Silicon Valleys. <laughs> we can continue to dream. <laughs> One day, we're just we're just looking for a, a reason to not live in Victoria or like Metro Melbourne. <laughs> any any reason will do. Uh, and then uh, I do just want to jump on that point around like the personal wealth. Like there's obvious significant benefits for like your yeah, business owners because of internet connectivity. Uh, you no longer have people saying I can't work because my internet's down. Like this, the stability and the speeds is going to be a huge improvement. But your point around sort of personal wealth, 
And again, this theme of sort of regional rural areas just getting propped up and essentially being brought up to the same pace that a lot of sort of your built up metro areas have had for a while where they now have the same ability to earn and do all of those things, which means again, for property, as we've been talking about quite a lot across here, I'm, I'm pretty happy with a lot of the places that I've gone because I know that infrastructure is going to get continue to get installed, whether it be internet, et cetera, which means now if someone needs to live in a regional area for work, maybe they, they work in the government sector in mines or whatever it might be, the partner can just actually still get another job that might be working online. They might actually be the person behind the camera of a dental industry that might just be in Australia, for example, but I actually look at this to be extremely strong from an investment perspective to say, even if this does take them a couple of years to roll out and Elon Starlink takes a while, et cetera, this is now unlocking it. Like I know a lot of people where their wives had to work in the mines with them and they just were stay at home mums. Right? Like they were just there. And now it just unlocks this opportunity where up in the Pilbara, you might go and have gigabyte internet and you go, great. Now you can have two incomes. That's fantastic. Right. I, I do really think, and I'd love your opinion on this. Like, I, I read this and I'm overwhelmingly positive on these things. But do you think, like, I look at this right now and I'm going, whatever's happened in the last two years has been a catalyst of change in a huge way, mm-hmm. a mm-hmm. huge way. And it's like the undertones of this that I've already been highlighting here is like, I think this is like regions boom. Really, like the government is very much saying towards that. I think that the way we work has changed forever. It's not going back. No, and like bolstering the NBN only supports that because more people can do that, right? All and then also like driving from technology point of view, like they're pushing us to innovate and really take advantage of these things. So I, I'm really excited by this. The only mistake I can really see business owners making is to try and like no, 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 regress back to the old ways. Yeah. Yep. No, let's go. Let's all go into the office. Yeah, I think it's a bad attitude. I think you want to ride this and get in front of it. I think overwhelmingly in the people I've spoken to, especially those with young families, they want to work from home. They want to have a better work-life balance. They don't want to be doing these massive drives into city commutes and they they dislike that massively. So my, my view is like all of this is going in this direction and if you're a business owner, like get on board. Yeah, I wholeheartedly agree. And it actually brings me to a final piece that I want to talk to you about. <laughs> I'm just going to summarize. I'm just going to dive straight into it. Who is paying for Labor's budget plans? Uh, when we look at all of these things, what were they saying on the news? Oh, it's only an increase of $7.4 billion on top of what Libra, Liberal had in their budget plans. <laughs> oh, I mean, I just spent that on the weekend. Right? It, was just, oh, it, was just, it was just easy. It was just it's no worries at all. But essentially, um, I was showing you this graph uh, or this table first when we, we jumped on and started talking about this. The thing that I fell off my chair when I was looking at uh, the debt that Australia has. Now, they, they say that it's going to be around about a trillion dollars. The graph and table that I've got here says about last year is about 834. So I would probably suggest it's going to land around one, 1. 1.1 trillion is what they're suspecting. Rewinding 15 years, Charlie, what was the debt that Australia had in comparison to our GDP, which is gross domestic product, which is kind of the, the value. So what year are we going with here? I'm looking at this lovely chart. I'm going to go to the lowest one. Go 2007. Right, so uh, 2007, our debt to GDP was 9.7%. Let's fast forward. Just go a decade. What was 
in 2017, it was 41%. <laughs> Just a little jump. <laughs> wow. <laughs> so it's a, it, it has jumped from essentially 10% to 40%. So it's a 30% jump. And now This chart actually misses uh, 2020 and t- 2021, but I suspect it's probably over 50% now. Exactly. Now, it was funny, and I actually can't believe that you knew this number. So what is America's debt? So the, the entire debt of the country compared to the, just, the GDP or the gross domestic product for the country. It's 115%, I believe. Now, does that scare you? If you were in the United States, as a person in the United States, would that scare you? Or do you think that is healthy? And if Australia got to that, would you support it? Or would you say, that's probably a little bit too risky? All right. How, how do I think about this? I have an interesting point of view is um, a few things I'll say here. So ultimately, who's paying for this? Us. Uh, like the people who live in a country ultimately pay the taxes and pay for everything that gets done. Like we don't just get free NBN. They're not going to spend, what is it, $40 billion on this thing. Like we pay through it through taxes. If you're a, a business owner, which I would assume everyone listening to this podcast is, like how fun is it paying that tax bill or that PAYG or GST or whatever it is, like all that money combined up is the things that uh, pay for this. So that's ultimately who's going to pay for it. What I think is really interesting is that the government's strategy is really around like inflation. Yeah, I'm going to be honest on it. So the idea is they're spending money today and then future generations will pay for this debt. Um, but I want to frame this differently. Uh, I mentioned in a previous episode, my nan actually bought a house for $9,000. And it's like uh, Grant and myself have laughed in the idea of like buying that house today because it'd be easy. All right. That's essentially the strategy government's trying to take here is they're like, well, a trillion dollars, like it's a lot today, but a hundred years from now, what's a trillion dollars? Probably nothing or even 50 years, right? So inflation plays a key role in debt being able to be attained. And that's why governments really like there being a little bit of inflation is to make debts easier to repay. However, coming back to this topic here is like, is there like, how do we feel about debt? I kind of think about this in like, if uh, debts, when we think of it in the eyes of government, we tend not to connect. So if I said to you, look, we've got a friend and his debt to income ratio is 50%, what would you say? That's a good like, thing. He's got a little bit. It's great. Well, it might be. It depends on the debt. Oh, But if I said to point. you it's like uh, 200%, what would you say? Yeah, no, that's definitely not a good thing. Yeah. So like where I think this is interesting is if you had a friend and let's just use a person here and it's like you saw their debt growing every year and they're getting really out of hand with debt and they're just buying reckless things. Like, what would you say the future of that person looks like? It's not going to look very good at all. Completely. And I think we need to look at this in the same light. Is I'm not overly concerned about the debt Australia has right now, but if it got to a point where it was like, wow, this is getting crazy, our government might have to start making bad decisions to clear its debt or default on its debt. And that's when business and investing or property we own or our share market could get decimated. Yep. absolutely decimated. And this is where at a certain point, and I'm not actually sure, I haven't set this point for myself, you may actually want to reconsider, well, if I own a lot of property in Australia, maybe I want to reduce that and actually buy property overseas or in countries that are more responsible with their uh, debt or responsible with how they run their economies. Now, uh, again, we see this already is like, like what did uh, what was it? It's like, What did they say when uh, in Venezuela it was like when things started really getting crazy with debt in Venezuela, what did everyone try and do was get US dollars? 
because their currency was inflating at a huge rate and they needed something safe to store it in. Well, the same could effectively happen in this regard here in many parts of the world so that they end up in currency crisis. Now, I realise I'm getting quite technical on things here of like, you know, uh, well, what does that look like? I think ultimately what I'd be thinking about if I was an Australian business owner is like, okay, well, if Australia's debts get to a certain point, do I want to start doing business in the US instead yep. or doing business in another part of the world because I would much rather earn in their currency or I would much rather have something like that available to me. And if it got extreme, you may even consider relocating. Like, again, what happened in Venezuela or some of these other countries is things get extreme and then people look to relocate out of them because they're not happy with how it's being governed. I don't think Australia will get there. We are fairly well run and a part of, like, there's many things in place to protect things from happening like that. But let's never say never. From an investing point of view, though, when countries get out of hand with their debt, if you've got locked into that currency, you're running a risk. So if you'd bought uh, property in Venezuela, noting that inflation may have worked for you in the debt on that, it might have been really easy to pay off down the road. But there's actually some downsides if no one wants to buy that stuff yep. or people can't save deposits or anything like that. And it's really interesting, that sentiment that you shared there. So right now, everybody wants to come to Australia which is fantastic. So there's still a huge demand for what we're producing. And I'll, I'll incorporate property into that as well. Right? So the people still want what we've got. They still want to buy our products. They still want to live here. They want to do all of those things. But if that changes, where it's like, well, no, it's too expensive here compared to everywhere else. There's no real value here. Or they look at going, well, this entire environment is going to be overinflated. My money is better else somewhere, better somewhere else. That is kind of the indicator we're looking for. And the the interesting thing around what we've been covering in previous episodes, Charlie, as well as this episode, is all of these valuable indicators that suggests that that is not the case, at least in my opinion, and I know, Charlie, you share a very similar opinion, in Australia. Like we're looking at, and we covered in the last episode, the uh, green mining boom, right? And uh, an interesting point that we were talking about is 15 years ago when we had almost no debt was thanks to the mining boom, right? Because so much money was coming into the Australian economy, which potentially, and I'm speculating, might happen again. It might not be to the same extent. It might be more so, but that is actually going to help us in the long run for us now. So if we're seeing these indicators, great, we just go, well, how are we going to play that? I'm to your same as you, Charlie, very bullish on property. I think property is great. We've got all this immigration, we've got the green mining boom, we've got all of these things happening that I just see it always or consistently going up, especially for the short to medium term. But for the other point that you're mentioning, if this starts to get out of hand, and I disagree with some of the things the government's investing in, like if they invest in things that I do not think is for the betterment of the country, like imagine they just said, well, all wages are going to double. And I, and I look at that and I say, well, that's going to cost you a fortune but what really, what value as a business owner and as an investor, am I actually going to get out of that? The question I'm asking myself is, where is my money better spent? Where is it better for me to go and get customers from? Where is it better for me to operate? Because as business owners, we, we get that option. If I'm, if I'm an employee, I don't get that choice. I'm working for typically someone in Australia, right? Just think about this for a second. Have you ever heard a story of like Chinese investors buying property in Australia? You heard that narrative? Every day. Like, <laughs> yes. Yeah, oh, the Chinese are coming over here and they're buying all their property. Did anyone take a second to think of why? I Because they feel it. like their money is safer in Australia than it is in 
China in this yep. example. And I'm sure this is happening in other countries as well. I'm just using it as the example. But it's like Australia is still perceived as a very lucrative place to store money. And I would just say the the effects of mining and resources we have to sell to the world also put a very strong economic backdrop on Australia. So um, it's very, very fascinating. But I uh, will bring this back to the topic at hand of what we're discussing at it here is it just seems to me that Australia is very well placed to have a great run uh, for the seeable for future in my view. Do you share that view? Yeah, I, I definitely do. And the, the key messaging here is like if you're consuming some of this hype around Labor's better, Liberal's better, or is the election win good or bad, etc. as a business owner and as someone who's trying to build your wealth, just think about really the impacts it has to you. At the end of the day, there's all these macro things that are going to happen around the economy. You're going to disagree with some, you're going to agree with some, etc. But at the bottom line of it, when you're looking at these trends and indicators going, how is that going to impact me? And that is exactly what we're trying to push across here is saying, well, this is how we are interpreting it, which is times are good. There's a lot of things that I've read that I disagree with. <laughs> There's a lot of things that we've spoken about, which I do agree with. And I think it's going to be better for the businesses that we run as well as the, the investments that we have. It's just going, well, if it starts getting worse, I'm just going to play this game completely differently. So even though they will rack up more debt and they will, so again, lean towards helping out employees and things like that, I do not see any catastrophic things as an Australian business owner who's also focusing on my wealth that I'm like really worried about that is telling me, run for the hills, go and invest elsewhere, take your cash in and do it. I'm looking at a lot of things that I'm sitting there saying, this is awesome. Like. Yeah, I'm over. Like overall, I'm incredibly optimistic. I think as a business owner, you should be thrilled with a lot of these things that yep. are coming in. They benefit you a lot. And then secondary to that is, as an investor in Australia and someone who's building wealth, uh, it only has grown my confidence in building wealth in Australia. And again, not financial advice. I've got to say all that stuff again. But <laughs> I think there's a lot of really strong positives to come out of this that you stand the chance to benefit from. Only the downside or draw card I've mentioned before is like. Go forward. If you're trying to regress to old ways of things, that is who I think stands to lose in this environment. Yeah, yeah. if you're trying to fight the change, especially at this volume, you're never going to win. You just you can't beat the volume of money that the government's pushing into some of these things. They, they just change economies. And so go with it. Don't fight against it. But, Charlie, the election special – Awesome episode. Appreciate the insights and uh, appreciate all the time and effort that you've got to put into sort of looking at the details across all of these things. It's, I know how politi- politics can not be very entertaining at times. <laughs> I'll tell you what, I'll, I'll see you in four years. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. <laughs> Bomb dropped. Uh, so everyone who's listening to this, be sure to check out for the next episode. And again, if you're not already, make sure that you're on the newsletter. Uh, the newsletter is key and it's designed for enhancing your full stack of skills, in order for you to build wealth inside and outside of your business, head over to fullstackbusinessowner.com forward slash newsletter to become part of that. And if you did enjoy this episode, be sure to subscribe to it, share it to anyone else who might also be struggling to actually understand what happened in the election and the impact is going to happen on them as a business owner who's also trying to create wealth. And again, thanks for joining us and we look forward to catching you on the next episode of Full Stack Business Owner.